tonight in Tampa, tomorrow in Raleigh, and that's just the beginning. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Want to hear the rest? Here's the rest of the, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six more games after the ones against the Lightning and the Hurricanes here these next 48 hours. Next Tuesday at home against the Panthers. Next Friday at home against the Golden Knights. Next Sunday against the Canes again. Then there's a three-game trip that takes the team through Nashville, St. Louis, and Glendale. And what you're left with, by the time they get to Glendale to face the first lousy team out of this entire list, they could be just drop-dead tired. Uh, It's going to be some challenge. There's nothing else on the schedule that compares to this. These aren't just playoff-caliber teams. These are contenders, as in cup contenders. And the next three games might be against the cup contenders between the Lightning, Hurricanes, and Panthers. Here's what Zach Aston Reese had to say on that subject yesterday after practice in Cranberry. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think if you look at our record against playoff teams, um, I think we're right at 500. Um, That's something we want to improve. So having this test in front of us, I think our schedule gets a lot tougher heading down the stretch into playoffs, and that's what you want. Um, It's a good measuring stick, and it's a good test for us. Now, he would focus on defending. He's got one goal all season. He's out there, and he knows it for his shot suppression and for his penalty killing and any other activity that you can think of to prevent goals as opposed to scoring them. And to an extent, he's right. If you go back to the very first game of the season, also down in Tampa, uh, one that I still consider to be among the Penguins' most thorough performances. They just smothered the bolts. I mean, it was not interesting. They were in their faces. They were missing a third of their lineup. Do you remember this? I remember walking out of that arena and heading back to the hotel and thinking to myself, what was that? What did we just witness? And I also remember asking Mike Sullivan after the game, as opposed to something positive or whatever, I asked if he felt that this team could do this, could perform at this uh, borderline insane level of intensity over an 82-game schedule. And he's never been crazy about questions like that because it kind of implies that his system isn't sustainable and he worries, I'm sure, even more that if his players hear him express, well, yeah, of course, that's going to be really tough. I predict that when we get to game 56, we're just going to fall apart. So he finds a way to answer it By saying, yeah, we just have to apply ourselves. We have to make it natural. We have to make it seamless. But as we've seen, it does come with its wear and tear, and it does come with a slowdown. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how 
$1 can be turned into five full meals. For those in need, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Now, we've seen that slowdown play out in a lot of different ways over the past, I'd say, about four to six weeks. And in the process, most of the focus, and understandably so, of Sullivan and his coaches has been on, let's get back to defending. Let's do a hard reset and remember what it is that we need to be doing, you know, to compete for the cup. And to their credit, of late, including this past weekend, they've done that. They've looked a lot sharper in that regard. What they aren't doing at all, other than the top forward line and the top power play unit, is scoring goals. And more concerning than that is that they aren't even really creating a whole lot of chances. Yeah, I know they can put up some decent shot attempts in some games. I'm talking about real chances. I'm talking about real energy, real zone time where you see them buzzing. And you know what I'm talking about because that's what that looked like back when I asked that question and for quite a while thereafter. But here they are now, offensively, really getting almost nothing done other than what I'd mentioned. Is that a lack of energy from those guys? Because you know, based on their character and their history, that they're trying hard. I don't think anybody would reasonably look at Evan Rodriguez just to single out one guy and say, you know what, Evan, you're just not giving it all you got. He doesn't have an alternate gear. He's just got the one madman Evan Rodriguez gear. But he's not springing open. He's not flying through the neutral zone the way he was when he put up those 15 goals in 37 games. And you could say a lot of the same things about some of these other bottom six guys and even some of the second-line guys. Are they tired? Are they fatigued? Well, that's kind of a difficult argument to make, too, considering we're not that deep into the season yet, and that they don't exactly get the premium ice time. But could they be feeling the effects of going completely nutso to defend. And then by the time they get to center red, instead of doing what they were doing two months ago, they just kind of dump it in and go for a change. Yeah, I mean, that's at least a possibility. Is Sullivan's system too tough? Is that one of the reasons, at least conceptually, that the Penguins have flamed out in the first round the last three years? I mean, I'm not in a position to say no. Are you? But, but if you believe, as I do, that these forwards needed a reset in order to start generating their own offense from further back, then they're going to be okay. Then they're going to be okay. They're going to need to be okay in that regard if they're going to beat the Lightning tonight, if they're going to beat the Hurricanes tomorrow night, And you'd better believe they'll need all of that if they're going to beat the team that I feel is the best out of those, the Panthers, next Tuesday at PPG Paints Arena. Depth scoring will not be optional for this hockey team. Not in the playoffs and not in this next stretch of games. They've got to score. They've got to find 
some kind of energy or enthusiasm or focus or whatever it takes to start popping home some goals. When we come back, just one question. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And today, J1Q comes from Brian Boxler, who asks, just sitting here thinking about the Penguins and the many head coaches they've had, who do you consider to be the best one or some of the best ones they've had in their existence? Wow, is this hard. And not just because it spans more than half a century, and not just because there's been five Stanley Cups in that period. So many different storylines so many different great names, so many different spans for these guys. I mean, look at it this way. Badger Bob Johnson coached the Penguins for one, count them, one season before his tragic loss to brain cancer. But it was the, the transformative season for this franchise. He was the one that took the Penguins, to borrow one of his favorite terms, to the top of the mountain. After they'd never been really anywhere near it. Even with Mario Lemieux in the lineup. Even with Paul Coffey and Tom Barrasso and all those other names. Someone still had to put it together. Someone still had to instill that sense of belief. The stories that I hear from the guys who played on those teams resonate to this day about how Badger Bob would walk into the building at Civic Arena and look up and say, there's no, there's no banners up there. There's nothing up there. What are we doing here? He wanted them to envision what that would look like, to make it seem real in their heads while also acknowledging that it feels a little empty without it. You know, your individual awards and your division championships or whatever else you might get along the way, it's not the same. It's not the same. And they got it all done. They got it all done under him. I, the list of names the following year, it's Scotty Bowman of all people. And before long, you'd have Herb Brooks coming here. Herbie was here. Herbie was here. You know, only the most famous coach in hockey history within the United States. At any level. Architect of the greatest thing any American coach has ever achieved in any sport. You proceed through and you come up with Dan Bilesma, who took over in mid-season in 2009, took over a team 
that was flailing that didn't look like it was going to get anywhere. And we were wondering if this city was somehow going to waste the talents of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, even though they were still really young. It was Bilesma that immediately got the team playing well together. And they won that cup in 09, which for a lot of people in our region, most of them a good bit younger than me, was their first cup and the one that they hold the most dear in their hearts. And then there's this guy. You know, he had a similar 2016 to Bilesma taking over in midseason from Mike Johnston. Doing things his way. Putting his own stamp on that team right away for anybody who recalls that. And never blinking. Never blinking through 2016. When those guys, those same guys, that some people were wondering if they were ever going to get back up there because... I don't know, Tukarask shut them down a couple years earlier, and this was the end of the end. Sullivan oversaw that. And then the following year, Sullivan didn't have Chris Letang. He went into the playoffs with a team that was banged up in a lot more ways than that, and not nearly as deep and fast and overwhelming of opponents as the 2016 team was. And he, Sullivan, additionally had to navigate a really unpopular goaltending switch midway through. You can debate from now till the end of time if Flower would have won that cup, if Matt Murray hadn't taken his place. What you can't debate, what is not up for discussion, is that he made the right call because the right call was going to result in a cup, which was all that mattered to him. Yeah, man, I'm sorry. I like to take some pride in the show and answering questions to the best of my ability, but I am, I am punting this one as far as it goes. You go right ahead and have at it yourself. I appreciate the question. I appreciate being stumped by it. And I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one tomorrow. 